welcome to the Think MHK podcast presented by the Manhattan Area Chamber of Commerce. On this podcast, you will hear about a variety of local matters pertaining to the business community. You also hear from local business owners to hear their story and gain valuable business insights. Thanks for tuning in today. My co-host for this segment is Darren Solden, our Director of Economic Development. Hey, Darren. Hey, Jason. We have Nancy Burton with us today, and Nancy has been what feels like the permanent chair of the Greater Manhattan Economic Partnership. So, Nancy, welcome to our show. And I, I say that jokingly, but you have been the only chair of GMAP, correct? I was the second. You were the second chair. Who was Jim the... Gordon okay. was the first for the first year. Okay. And then I have been the chair for the last three. Okay. So you're the only chair I've known. Yes. So, okay. And you have been very gracious as we have moved forward and held that position longer than I think you intended, but but it certainly has been important for us as we move forward. So we'll get to all that in a minute. Uh, before we get started on the Greater Manhattan Economic Partnership, I thought you might take a little bit of time and tell us about yourself and how you ended up in Manhattan and, and you actually live in Wamego. But how you ended up working in Manhattan, living in Wamego? Manhattan became my happy place a lot of years ago. I grew up in the heart of the Flint Hills in Chase County, just south of Cottonwood Falls on a ranch. I am the youngest of four. I have three older brothers, and there's a very large age gap between the three of them and me. The two youngest went to school at K-State in the 70s. And I remember coming to Manhattan to visit them. I would have been maybe five. My favorite memory of Manhattan is driving across the bridge at night when we were headed home. And at the time, we didn't have to have seatbelts. And I remember laying down in the back seat of the car, and I loved the light fixtures on the old bridge. So that was one of my first memories of Manhattan. And since I had two brothers here, we came often. So when it was my turn to decide what I was going to do after high school, it wasn't really a question of where I was going to go because K-State is just where my family went. So I came to K-State after high school, finished my degree, and then I left Manhattan for a year and missed it terribly and wanted to try and figure out how to get back to Manhattan. So I took a position with BBN Architects. So you spent the majority of your career with BBN Architects. Yes, all but one year. Okay, so talk about BBN and, and then talk about your current role with the company. BBN is a multidiscipline architectural firm. We also offer landscape architecture, and we have two offices, one in Kansas City and then our office here in Manhattan, which is downtown near the mall. We do a lot of municipal work, a lot of educational work. Um, we do a lot of laboratory research facilities. BBN has done a lot of buildings in Manhattan that I know most people are familiar with. And it's been very interesting for me because when I started at BBN, I didn't know a thing about architecture. I knew they drew plans and designed buildings, but that was about it. So I have had a lot of learning over the last 30 years. So you're with us today um, to talk about the Greater Manhattan Economic Partnership, and I have the pleasure of working with you um, as it relates to the to the uh, to GMAP. And, and so when we say GMAP, we're talking about the Greater Manhattan Economic Partnership. Why don't you tell us a little bit about the partnership and how it was formed? Partnership is a formal relationship between the Manhattan Area Chamber of Commerce and Pottawatomie County Economic Development Corporation. And for years at the leaders retreat, there was always talk about the communities in our region needed to do a better job of working together. And for years, we struggled with how do you make that happen? And finally, four years ago, we just bit the bullet, um, created this partnership, and 
we basically serve as a marketing piece for the region and marketing our assets. Tell us a little bit about that experience and kind of some of the progression you've seen over the years with uh, GMIP. It's been a very fulfilling and a rewarding position, and it's allowed me to see that kind of the behind the scenes activity that takes place in economic development. There is no activity in economic development that happens overnight. It's a long progression. Sometimes it's years before something actually comes to fruition. So that part of it has been very interesting because I've been able to see like what you and Jason and Jack Alston do outside of the normal realm because most people don't hear about it until it's an actual project and it shows up in the newspaper. Marketing is a lot of what we do through GMAP. Talk a little bit about that importance. Well, what we try to do is just market the region's assets. The Flint Hills is kind of that hidden gem. People don't know what we have to offer until they actually see it. Mm -hmm. And then most of the time they're kind of blown away by how beautiful our region is. And we've got Fort Riley. We've got the university. There's a lot of research that takes place at K-State. And so we try to focus on those assets as they relate to what is available here that could also benefit outside businesses. So we're doing most of our external business attraction marketing as GMAP, and, and it is in collaboration directly with Pot County and Jack Austin. And, and Darren is our lead in those efforts. And so I might ask Darren for a minute, where do we get the majority of our leads for this region from? How do, how do, we, how do we generate those leads? Yeah, I'd say really there's, there's a couple different uh, major sources. One's Kansas Department of Commerce. We work very closely with our partners at the state uh, and respond to leads there. We've really increased our marketing efforts, I think, and we're starting to see some of the payoff on that at the, at the regional level too. So we're we're seeing companies that um, that uh, by us leveraging our strengths, whether it be in animal health, biosecurity, grain science, um, uh, the fact that NBAF is is uh, is obviously very relevant. A progressing from a uh, construction standpoint, but very relevant in the, the current world we live in. Um, that creates opportunity and creates awareness of the community. So uh, really commerce is a, is a major uh, source of leads. Our, our own marketing efforts are a major source of leads. And then we respond to those in a, uh, in a very collaborative way uh, through GMIP. This is the first community that I've been in. When the state will send out an RFP, they send one to Jack and they send it to us. But what they get back from us is only one uh, proposal and it'll be under the Greater Manhattan Economic Partnership brand. How do you and Jack collaborate on that and, and how does that work? Yeah, so, and that's very true. We respond under one one brand and really that's a couple different ways. That's whether we're working on on new attraction or, or in many cases even um, expansion within the area. And so you know, if there's a company looking to grow, but we'll, we'll communicate, we'll discuss the project, we'll sit down and look at sites, um, uh, obviously look at specifics that a, a company is needing for a, for a project. So whether that's uh, specific acreage or a type of building or a, a zoning that allows for a specific end use, their their talent and workforce needs. Um, take that all into account, uh, look across the two county region and, and understand um, both what opportunities from a real estate standpoint, but also from a talent pipeline development standpoint we have, and then craft a message and a, a document that goes back to that company outlining those things. And then as we're doing follow-up, we do that collaboratively as well. So we'll oftentimes both, both be on calls with companies. And the whole idea is that uh, if a company is engaged or a site selector is engaged with us, they are hearing from the greater Manhattan region. How do we decide how those things get funded? It's a it's a joint funding project too. It's not just one group paying for the other or, or one group 
paying to enhance somebody else's marketing strategy, correct? Right. The funding comes from both Manhattan Chamber of Commerce and also from the Pottawatomie County Economic Development Corporation. Uh, so GMAP has an advisory board, which which Nancy is the chair of. And uh, every year there's a joint budget put together by the folks that are on that advisory board that represent both organizations in the partnership. And ultimately that's funded as a two-thirds, one-third split between the Manhattan Area Chamber of Commerce and the Pottawatomie County Economic Development Corporation. So uh, I think the great thing about that is is all of the parties at the table understand going in and agree to um, the budget and where the priorities lie as far as our, our marketing efforts that we do through GMAP are. And then that allows staff, in, in my case and in Jack's case and the other folks that are involved, really to, to uh, sit down and, and, um, and aggressively go after deals and, and work projects. And that's where our time, I think, is ultimately best spent. And Nancy, we were able to, and this predates Darren and I being with the Manhattan Chamber, but uh, very early in the GMAP process, we were able to get a win so that win was Corteva Ag Science, which is a bioresearch uh, grain and ag company. They're, initially, they were based in Manhattan, but they outgrew their facility. So they were looking for a new location. They called the Manhattan Chamber office. There was not a site available in Manhattan, but I believe it would have been Lyle, called Jack Alston, and Pot County had a site available in their industrial park. And so that was our first real win. And it was truly a team effort. This is a prime example of why moving from one city, from Manhattan to Wamego, it's still good for our region because we were able to retain those jobs. We retained the company. Those people retained their livelihood among our communities. And so we didn't lose anybody. So that was a great great thing. And a lot of those people still live in Manhattan. Some some of them may have moved to Wamego, but it, but it's still one economy and, and, and it still impacts everybody equally. Exactly. Well, the great thing about Corteva also is they were able to bring together some other regional operations to the location in Wamego. So they actually brought folks here from, I believe, Lawrence and Emporia um, that, that ultimately, ultimately uh, into that office. And so and, good win. And to be clear, having talked to the executives there, this wasn't a decision about move to Wamego or stay in Manhattan. This was a decision of move to Wamego or move somewhere off, right? So Topeka or further, which would have meant a lot of people would have had to relocate and we would have lost that that company in the region forever probably. Right, and their location I think is ideal. My understanding is they have a test site, which is a field where they plant their product and it's conveniently located just north of Wamego, so it's easy access. It really is a great facility, top-notch and state-of-the-art, able to do a lot of research and development there. So talk a little bit about uh, kind of how, how things have progressed with GMAP. I feel like we finally are getting some momentum. It took us a little bit to get our legs under us, and about the time the pandemic hit, we had just rolled out a new bioscience marketing plan we were able to turn the pandemic, I guess, into a positive because we were able to focus on the research that was happening at K-State, some of it directly related to COVID. And then we also were able to promote the new NBAF facility here in Manhattan. 
Yeah, and you mentioned the marketing. Um, I think that's been one of the exciting things with GMAP is is a to have comprehensive regional marketing materials, both digital and and print, and and um, things that we can respond to proposals on and and across the board. Uh, that biosecurity marketing campaign actually just recently won a an IEDC national award. So uh, it's it's been an exciting time for GMAP, and it's been awesome to see that growth. It's been really exciting. Just because most people don't know our acronyms is the International Economic Development Council, which is the National Association of Economic Developers. And so winning winning an award there is really a national recognition for the work. And it was specifically for cross-border collaboration. Talk about the relationship between the Pike County EDC and the Manhattan Chamber and how you've seen that maybe mature over the last three years. It's much improved. Uh, Jack Alston and yourself, Jason, and you, Darren, you guys have a great working relationship. And I feel like you really have come together as a cohesive team to benefit our community. I understand that each community still has obligations to promote its own community, but we also have an obligation to work together to take care of our region as a whole. We've grown our collaboration with the Pot County EDC into retention and expansion and entrepreneurship. Darren, maybe talk a little bit about that. As we've uh, really ramped up our business retention expansion program over the last year or so, George Kant, um, our existing business retention expansion manager, worked very closely with Jack and, and went out and visited a number of companies as part of a joint effort. Um, much of that actually was done was done virtually during the pandemic. And and then uh, also as some of the efforts of Spark and, uh, and the entrepreneurial ecosystem development that we're very involved with through the chamber, uh, Jack has been a great partner in that and, and working with Sarah Siders and Spark and and uh, and we've learned some great things along the way as well. Um, uh, the strong uh, e-community program through Network Kansas that Pottawatomie County Economic Development has, has fostered over the last several years. We've just recently gotten uh, more involved in that for the Manhattan Chamber end and just made our first loan in quite a number of years uh, recently. So I think that it's it's great to see that, that the efforts that we've done with business attraction and marketing um, and and, and I think the trust and the collaboration that's been built through GMAP were able to apply really across our entire economic development uh, um, effort. Yeah, and of course, it's always important to remember that part of Manhattan is in Pot- Pottawatomie County. And so there's obviously um, a lot of overlap. And, and, and if we're not working together, it's, it's not, we're not going to be successful. And so uh, I appreciate Jack and his willingness to collaborate and and. Uh, have enjoyed working with him since I've been here. And, and of course, we stole Darren from Wamigo, and, and they have forgiven us for that. Um, so, and, and we continue to have that relationship as well. So, well, I, th- I think it's important to rem- remember. We've talked, Nancy, we've talked to you about your time as the as the um, the GMEP chair, but you also were a chair of board, I believe, for Pottawatomie County Economic Development and very involved with that organization kind of as a lead up to this. I was. I served on Jack's board for six years, and four of those years I was on his executive committee. We look back at your efforts, at Jim Gordon's efforts, at some others to, to get this um, this partnership up and up and off the ground. And I'm really excited about the benefits we're going to reap from it in the future. And I'd be, and it would be, it'd be wrong for us not to acknowledge uh, our partnership with uh, Kansas State uh, as well. They've been big partners in a lot of these efforts, including specifically the biosecurity and. And then also some of the lead generation and how we deal with clients. And so they do a great job. And Rebecca, thank you for being with us today on the Think MHK podcast. Thank you for having me. I appreciate the opportunity. The Think MHK podcast is brought to you by the Manhattan Area Chamber of Commerce. Don't forget to subscribe and like the Think MHK podcast on your preferred podcast provider. 
and you will never risk missing an episode. If you enjoyed our show, please give us a five-star rating and leave a review. To find out more about today's topic or other chamber activities, please go to manhattan.org. And now back to today's show. Welcome back to Think MHK. Uh, my co-host for this segment is Sharla Meisenheimer. Sharla, how are you today? I'm awesome. How's Jason? I'm great. We, cool. I'm excited because our next guest is one of my favorite people in town, Mr. Jeff Sackrider with WTC. Hey, Jeff. Greetings, Jason, Sharla, Meisenheimer. How are you all today? We're great, Jeff. How are you? <laughs> All right, Couldn't all right. be better. I, I get it. I get it. <laughs> we we struggle a little bit sometimes with Charlotte's last name, and so everybody likes to poke fun at Jason. That's okay. Um, so Jeff, tell us a little about yourself. How did you end up here, and and how did you end up with WTC? I ended up with WTC um, through nepotism, I suppose. Uh, my father worked at WTC for uh, I believe forty one years when he finished his career there. I think I was 10 when I started cutting grass and washing service trucks and cleaning ashtrays down at the the service department um, and have kind of just worked my way up from there. I've dug ditches. I've done installs. I've sold service, tech support, a little bit of everything. I don't know how I ended up in Manhattan by accident, really, like a lot of people. Um, I grew up in Wamigo, um, lived there for the majority of my life, assumed I was going to die in Wamigo. Um, and life... Uh, threw me another opportunity and I moved to Washington, D.C. for about five years, I guess, and remained with WTC and worked remote during that time. We entered the Manhattan market and needed somebody that could be on the ground here and build some relationships. And um, I was tired of working from home at that point and decided that uh, moving back to Manhattan and getting involved in the Manhattan community would be something, uh, a good change of pace for me. Um, wasn't really sure if uh, if I was going to be here forever, but it's quickly become home. I guess I've been here for about three or four years now, and I'm going to be here for quite some time, as long as you guys will have me. Well, we're glad. So WTC entered Manhattan about three or four years ago. What, what, to, what were some of the reasons behind that? As long as I've worked at WTC, we've been asked to come to Manhattan, and the answer was always no. Uh, there's a couple of large companies that do what we do here. And we just assumed that, you know, we can't really compete in any sort of meaningful way. Got to looking more and more seriously at this market as more people asked us to come here and and discovered that there could be a good opportunity for us. So yeah, we kind of, we dipped our toes into the east side of Manhattan and things have just really blown up quickly for us. We've got 900 business clients in Manhattan in the last four years. We've got 500 apartments that have our service. We've got Greek houses, I mean, it's just exceeded our expectations for sure. And your primary service in Manhattan is fiber connectivity, is it, that correct? Yeah. So our company, we build fiber primarily to provide high-speed affordable internet. We sell telephone service, phone systems, video cameras, um, you know, traditional telecommunications type services. But internet is the thing, you know, as we've learned over the last 18 months, I mean, having access to internet that works all the time. And if you need help, somebody's there for you. That's very important. Yeah, we definitely become uh, very reliant on streaming. And so having uh, internet is important. But it's also uh, connectivity is an important part of uh, economic prosperity, particularly as rural communities and regions uh, try to compete in the current marketplace. And you all play an important role in that. Uh, talk about WTC's efforts to increase connectivity, not just for Manhattan, but in, in some of the regional communities as well. Right. I mean, 
you're not going to move to a town. You're not going to start a business in a town that doesn't have internet. Full stop. You're going to find another town that that has internet service. And so if you if you're a small town and you're struggling, plus you don't have internet service, I mean, I I don't know. That's tough, and that's I think why a lot of places in Western Kansas and the rural U.S. in general are are really part of why they're struggling. There's been a lot of opportunities with grants uh, since COVID has come about to provide service to unserved and underserved communities. And so uh, the first town that we took advantage of a a grant was in McFarland and we built fiber, had people turned up in about 90 days in that town when we were awarded that grant. Um, We've got 400 square miles. We're to Rossville to the east and now out to the airport uh, here in Manhattan. We go almost to Westmoreland to the north and down to Alma in the south. But you know, St. Mary's, uh, Rossville, Zenedale, Deep Creek, now the Green Valley Road, Blue Township area are all some of the small communities in the last 10 years that we've provided service to and built fiber to. And we've seen growth in, in some of those communities and jobs. And, and it's primarily because they, they can connect. And so that's really important for those communities. Yeah, we couldn't agree more. So at our annual meeting earlier this year in February, you were named Young Professional of the Year. How did you respond to that when you found out? You could maybe answer that question better than me. There may or may not be video (laughs) of that. Mm -hmm. So I got a text from Sharla, I think a text, asking if I was in my office. Um, And I think that maybe the leadership Manhattan class had been doing something with the emergency shelter. And I'm on the emergency shelter board. Right. And I kind of suspected that for some reason you wanted my reaction to that. Um, But you showed up at my door and you had Larie with you and a camera. It never occurred to me that I was getting attention for something positive that I had done, (laughs) Um, you know, and that award didn't exist. It did not exist. So why in the world would I think that that is something that I'm getting? So I think I was probably bright red and quite speechless, if I'm remembering this correctly. You were a little tongue-tied. I will will tell you the other part of that is that you almost caught us in the lobby. Do you remember that? So I had Tara with me, and Tara and I were in the lobby um, there at the foundation building where your office at at the time. And um, actually, I said to Tara, I said, put your camera down just in case Jeff happens to come out because we were waiting for Lurie. Uh-huh. And sure enough, here you come. And Tara's <laughs> like, oh, good call. And you're like, I'm like, oh, we have a couple other people we're going to talk to. And then we'll be down in just, just a little bit. And you're like, okay. <laughs> so, right. yeah, and, I was like, whew. And just, and just for those that may not know, right. Lurie is Lurie Shope, who was our chair last year and and instrumental in, in making those selections. Mm-hmm. And Tara was, Tara Rostein, who right. worked on our communications team uh, and was shooting the video. Right, because we did a live stream of annual meeting this year in 21. Starts to sink in, we walk away. Who do you call first? I suspect, I, I'm i sure I didn't call anybody. Come on, I'm, I'm, <laughs> I'm the, the YP of the, the year. I don't call people. I don't. Don't tell the the T stands for telephone and WTC, but uh, <laughs> um, I'm sure I probably texted my parents first, followed shortly by bosses and management at WTC to and let them know. What was their reaction? Everybody obviously was very excited and proud uh, that I won that. And as they should be, I mean, it, it feels like an important 
acknowledgement for what I've done. So it, it's cool to get to share that with other people. Talk to us about what you feel like it means to be named YP of the Year. You hear about attracting and retaining talent in Manhattan a lot. And I don't think it's explicitly said that that's young people, but I think that's assumed that we need young people to choose to live here, choose to stay here after K-State or the military. And it feels like the chamber has done a really good, deliberate job lately of getting young people in the rooms and in the conversations. And I think, you know, this is just one other way that you can show young people in Manhattan that they're valued and that you're going to listen to them because we can't be the kind of community that attracts these types of people without listening to these people and seeing what they want and what's important to them. I crashed a meeting that Jason was in with the world champion air guitarist Nordic Thunder recently. Sorry about that. Um, <laughs> I don't have any idea what that meeting was, but the first thing I noticed was like half of the people in that room were younger than me. And that seemed to me like a meeting that was important business was being uh, discussed in that meeting. And, and that has to be something that you guys are mindful of and deliberate in choosing those people. And so this award just feels like a natural thing that you would want to do, if that makes sense. It does. Yeah. Do you remember a conversation that you and I had about three years ago at Leaders Retreat? Yeah, I I did go through a short little existential crisis a few years ago and, and wasn't sure if I made the right decision coming here. And certainly living in a big metropolitan area, there's right. things that Manhattan's never going to be, and that's okay. But I walk down the street and I know people, and I have an idea for the story walk that ought to be downtown. And I know the people to get to coffee and and a month later it's a thing that's downtown like this town if you choose to be involved will let you be involved and will listen to you and that's just not something that you get in a lot of other places having that sense of community and it's just it's it's really special here in manhattan in that way and it does it it for me at least it sucks me in and makes me want to stay here and see what other cool things I can help be a part of. One of the projects that you've been really instrumental in and, and made a huge impact on our community is a group called Insight MHK. So talk about the effort with Insight MHK, what it is, if somebody wants to get involved, how, how can you get involved in that? Well, first off, we would love it if you want to be involved in any way. And uh, you should contact me in some way. Hopefully you can look at the bottom wherever this podcast, I don't know how podcasts work, click on something and you can be connected to me, right? So we we want your help. We welcome your help. You should get in touch with me and we'll find a way to get you involved. Inside MHK is a group of volunteers in the community that love Manhattan, love art, our Venn diagrams and those two categories kind of line one on top of the other. We didn't want to be in these committees and groups where we talk about things and nothing ever happens. And so Inside MHK was this deliberate attempt to form a group where there would be immediate action and results. Uh, so we find private dollars and private property to commission public art. Now we've done performance art. We're looking at other types of art for next year, but we're we're open to opportunities to enhance Manhattan and figuring out ways to make them happen. But the most visible thing so far are the murals, right? Murals, I mean, absolutely. The, the one next to AJ's was the first 
Uh, is that correct? The- yep. So that was October of 2019 was our first mural. We've completed 11 total in the last little bit less than two years. And, now. and we're proud that we were selected as a location for mm-hmm. one. And uh, we get a lot of positive feedback about that. So, um, but how do you decide where to put them and how do you decide who paints them? We decide where to put them because somebody gives us permission. Um, I mean, we do have some walls that we have identified as, as great spots. They have to be accessible to the public in some sort of way. And we really, at least still, as we're kind of in the beginning stages of this group, we want them in walkable, dense areas of Manhattan. So that's primarily been along the Points Avenue corridor. Um, we're looking at Aggieville. We've got one in Aggieville, but we'd like some more art there. Um, the next step would be some of the other neighborhoods, maybe some more residential areas, but being accessible to people is really important. We are not artists. I sell internet service. I don't, I don't have any experience with art. So we, we, get money, we get permission to do a mural, and then we do an open call for artists and and tell them in a general way what we want to do, how much we can pay, give them some really basic guidelines. We don't want violence. We don't want politics, that kind of stuff. And other than that, it's just wide open for the artists to create whatever they're going to be proud of that the community is going to be excited about. And from the chamber standpoint, because we get a lot of people that ask mm-hmm. us, talk about how that one came about, because we didn't really have any much to do with it other than kind of signing off on the final design. That one specifically, um, Taylor and Jess, we worked with them on the RBG mural that they did shortly after Justice Ginsburg passed away. And they did not have any mural experience. They had all the other components to be muralists, but they just never had that opportunity to create a mural. It took some uh, convincing on my part that they would be able to successfully pull that off. But because they had the opportunity to do that, they now have a business, a professional mural business. They've done murals in several towns in Kansas, um, which is something that I'm really proud of. But they came to us with this concept. They thought having it on the uh, Chamber Convention Visitors Bureau wall would be really impactful for this design. We had a donor that was willing to pay for it. And so it was just kind of lined up perfectly, I think. And it was a really easy sell to to go to the chamber and say hey do you want this this mural that we'll pay for that's going to celebrate the community Um, and it's just really it's great because you're kind of the the start of downtown and you just it's completely changed the entrance going down points now in my opinion and it's just it's so bright i mean it just it put a smile on my face i just parked next to it when i came up here and it's just it's great. Yeah, we have we have a lot of people who comment on it. Why is public art important to a community? Well, my personal answer is uh, my selfish reason. I mean, I just, God, I just, I love being around art so much. I mean, it just lowers my blood pressure by like 20 points. And so if I can create a town that's surrounded in art, that's my selfish reason to do this. But, you know, from a, from an economic standpoint, we we did the the mural at AJ's in October in the snow for the most part. The muralists were, were from Brazil. One of them had never even seen snow before. So this was really <laughs> a shock for Renato to be painting in this thing that he'd only seen on TV. You know, we finished that during the winter time. And if you drove past that mural all winter long, there are people eating pizza 
outside in the snow, in the cold, so they could stare at that mural. I mean, it just completely has the power to transform wherever that art is. You know, it's going to bring positive attention. We have the opportunity to bring new people to town to see the community, to spread their ideas, their talents, their techniques with the local artists that we have. I mean, it's just, it, it checks so many boxes. It just completely changes the the makeup of the neighborhood. This isn't necessarily art, but I feel like it's kind of similar with what um, the outdoor dining spaces have done downtown. I mean, just having those people and the energy of people downtown. And now we've got these murals downtown. I mean, I really think that that Points Avenue in particular is just turning into this walkable, dynamic, uh, energetic destination district. And art really plays a big part in that. And and once again, anyone can get involved. So just, is there, and is there a website? We have a, a website, insightmhk.org. Um, we would love your time, your treasure, your walls. If you're an artist, come talk to me. I mean, we need, we, we are volunteers. We don't have any dedicated funding source. We don't own any property. Um, so we need help across the board if we're going to have the energy to keep doing this. Well, Jeff, we have one last segment that we do with all of our uh, business spotlight guests, and it is rapid fire. Rapid fire Ooh, questions. Baby. What are you currently reading or a favorite book? Well, I can answer both of those questions. Cozy Mysteries is the genre of books I'm most attracted to. I'm reading this book from the 30s called Death at Breakfast by uh, John Rode is the author. Um, my favorite book is called The Well of Lost Plots by Jasper Ford. It's a series. There's seven books. It was advertised to me as Harry Potter for adults, which is incorrect because Harry Potter is for adults, but it's just this magical, fantastic world. Read it. What's your favorite holiday? Thanksgiving. What is something you would like to try but haven't had the opportunity? I want to go to space and I want to look out the window and I want to see the entire planet. In in one shot, I want to see all of Earth. All you know right. what? Twenty years twenty years ago, I would have said no no prayer, but I, who knows so, now, right? I intentionally haven't had LASIK surgery because I've heard that the G forces of entering orbit can damage that. So I've I've been preparing. preparing for this for twenty years. I'm gonna do it. All right. I hope I'm alive to see that. At least hear about it. Um, what is something that you always travel with? You travel a lot. So what do I you travel always a travel? Lot. With? I always have my passport because you never know when there's a cool opportunity to leave. Favorite snack? Ice cream. All the ice cream. What TV sitcom family would you want to be a part of? <laughs> I want to live with Jessica Fletcher and I want to solve crimes and I want to eat delicious <laughs> food and listen to Amos Tupper sneak in the back door and steal baked goods. That's not technically a sitcom, Jeff, but we'll let it slide. We'll let you off the heck on that. <laughs> it's it's cool. funny. Come on. Uh, Amos Tupper is hilarious. But we'll, 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 we'll allow it. Favorite pet? Dogs, generally. Thursday next, my current dog is the best dog of all the dogs of all time. She is allegedly uh, <laughs> Corgi and Jack Russell Terrier, but who, who knows? Thursday next. Thursday who next. Who is the main character in the Jasper Ford series that I suggested you read earlier in this podcast. First and favorite concert. First concert I chose to go to was the Steve Miller Band at the Starlight Theater in Kansas City. I was 
like in sixth or seventh grade. Favorite concert I've ever been to was Friday, August 20th, 2010, House of Blues, Myrtle Beach, the Avett Brothers. I've been to about 100 Avett Brothers shows, and that one was, ev- oh, oh my God, it was great. Those guys was, are great. I, yeah. I love Avett Brothers. Yeah. yeah. Who is someone you look up to? My dad. You can have dinner with any four people in the world. Who's on your list? Ragnar Kjartansson, who is the greatest living artist, maybe one of the best of all time. Neil deGrasse Tyson, President Obama, and Sean Skolnick, who is a musician better known as Langhorn Slim. I think that would be the greatest dinner party of the century, at least. I was pretty sure you'd bring the air guitarist, not Nordic Thunder. Oh, or sorry, Dr. Thunder. <laughs> yeah. um, but, you know, I have dinner with him in real life. This oh, is uh, this is the, the fantasy. Fantasy one. Yeah. Okay. Well, Jeff, great job. Thank you for being with us today on the Think MHK podcast. Yeah, thanks. Thanks for having me. Thanks for listening to this episode of Think MHK, a podcast produced by the Manhattan Area Chamber of Commerce. If you enjoyed the Think MHK podcast, we'd love for you to subscribe and share it out on your social media channels. Feel free to reach out to us on Facebook, Twitter, or Instagram at the Manhattan Area Chamber of Commerce.